Listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Oz Network as we come to you for a movie review, a spoiler-free movie review for a brand new movie that is actually three weeks old. Because this is what we do on the Oz Network. We bring you movie reviews for movies that are three weeks old. And you would think that we would do these quicker because they're on streaming and it's not like we have to pay money to go to the movies, but apparently we're just lazy or don't have Apple TV. I don't know, one of those <laughs> ones there. Uh, we're here to talk about the 2020 war blockbuster starring everybody's favourite dad, Tom Hanks. I believe this is our first ever Tom Hanks movie. I could be mistaken there, but that's kind of... Toy Story 4, I think you did. Oh, uh, yeah. That, second. That movie. Uh, yeah. Our second <laughs> Tom Hanks movie. The first good one. The first good one. Uh, here to talk about a movie that should have been at the cinemas, but instead went to Apple TV because... Bats in China made us all sick, so therefore we had to give money to Steve Jobs, even though he's dead, and now it's that other guy. Uh, but this is Greyhound. My name is Ben, and... And my name is Canadian Vessel Dickie! <laughs> I've been waiting for you to say that for a long time. <laughs> Yay. Um, I- I'm disappointed that you did not say everybody's favorite coronavirus survivor tom hanks oh yeah well i feel guilty as an australian that we gave it to him so (laughs) you know sorry about that world we nearly killed america's dad so sorry about that um still disappointed this movie's lack of actual greyhounds or buses but maybe we can talk about that but there was dog sounds in it so that was something uh greyhound colin i'm gonna throw to you first what did you think of greyhound uh, this is a movie I've been waiting for for a long time, but, you know, due to coronavirus, I pretty much forgot this movie was a thing. You know, um, I remember seeing the trailer for it. I think it was around the time of the Super Bowl, and I think the original release date was supposed to be the day before my birthday. So I'm like, there we go. Got a movie to go see on my birthday. And then probably about two weeks before my birthday, maybe even less than that, all the movie theaters shut down, uh, and I had no plans for my birthday. It was a sad birthday. <laughs> uh and then this movie, I guess, got bumped. They're like, let's try it in May. Let's try it in June. And eventually, almost with no warning, they just released it on Apple TV. So I think I was reminded by this movie when I saw a commercial uh, probably about two weeks ago that said, now available on Apple TV. I'm like, what? Greyhound came out? And, you know, I do not have Apple TV. So <laughs> <laughs> I had to find other means to watch this movie. But uh, I've been waiting for this a long time. I mean, I'm a huge fan of war movies um this style in particular i mean it, it there's things about this that we've never seen before it's presenting a type of battle that we've never seen and it's got tom hanks and you know funny enough uh i started watching this with jamie you know she had wanted to rent something and i said oh there's this new war movie with tom hanks and she goes well war movies really aren't my thing i'm <laughs> like okay we'll find something else like, but it's got tom hanks i'm like yes it does <laughs> you're right about that <laughs> so we started watching it and didn't finish the whole thing and then the next time we were watching uh, i said do you want to watch something else or do you want to finish that Greyhound movie? She goes, well, uh, war movies really aren't my thing. And I'm like, okay, we'll watch something else. Like, what? But it has Tom Hanks in it. I'm like, yes, it does. <laughs> we had the exact same conversation, but uh, I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was, it was, it was a blast. I mean, this is a fun war movie, not fun in a disrespectful way. <laughs> you have to be careful when you talk about World War II. Oh, it was so much fun. Oh, uh, <laughs> but it was an entertaining, you know, action packed battle movie. It's 
I, I, I like this movie, but I guess my problem is, and I, I don't know if this comes down to, was this movie, I guess, rejigged to be on a streaming service? Was this what it was meant to feel like at the end? T- to me, I'll just say it straight away, this feels almost like it should be a, a Showtime movie of the week, the style of this editing and even some of the special effects. It do- this doesn't feel like a, a movie that should be on the big screen. And, it's, and that's what intrigues me, that this is a movie that was made for the big screen. This isn't like the old guard that was made for Netflix. This was made for the big screen. So I don't know whether or not this movie, yeah, was rejigged to essentially suit it for a streaming platform or toned down. Maybe they didn't have the budget to completely fix it in post-production. But by the sounds of things, it was pretty much ready to go. They just couldn't release it because of coronavirus. So um, that I that kind of... I guess, turn me off absolutely loving this movie. But having said that, it is entertaining. It's It doesn't stop this movie, basically, from the beginning, except for a really random scene at the beginning to do with Christmas and a woman who just is there and the only female in the movie, and then that's it. Um, it just doesn't stop. The whole thing is, you know, you feel like you are Tom Hanks not ever getting to eat a meal and having his feet bleed. So... Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you felt that way with this movie. It felt very TV movie to me. I don't know if I'm just being nitpicky. I think you're being nitpicky. I actually had the opposite reaction. Uh, I I felt like I was missing out for not having seen this on the big screen because it is one massive battle and it's it's staged in a way that, you know, I think would have looked even more incredible. I mean, basically to sum it up for people who, you know, need the spoiler for you. By the way, I, I'm going to change this. This is now a spoiler review. The Allies win the war. Oh, um, shit. So sorry, sorry about what? that. What? <laughs> oh, man. But uh, I, th- what you're seeing in this movie, it's, uh, okay, let's go all out here. Um my favorite, I guess you could say, branch of the military, the one I find most interesting, is the Navy. And you rarely get the Navy depicted like this. You'll get, you know, Navy fighter planes. You know, you'll get uh, something like Master and Commander is a very good comparison to this because it's just about boats in the ocean. But the difference with this is you've got as, like... As opposed to boats on land. <laughs> well, <laughs> Pearl Harbor, I mean, <laughs> basically on land, right? Boats in but, space. Uh... <laughs> but I mean, you know, for the style of battle, I think Master and Commander is the only one we've really ever seen like this before. Uh, and then you've seen submarine movies like Das Boat or Hunt for Red October. Uh, U-571 would be another really good one. But... This is all told from the deck of the ship. And one of the smartest decisions that they actually made with this movie is that the action scenes are just told from that perspective. So when there's submarines in the water, even the other, like it's a convoy of ships and even the other ships you see, Dickie and <laughs> uh, Derry and all the other ones, uh, if they're communicating with them, it's only over radio. And if you see those ships, it's Tom Hanks looking through binoculars or looking through a telescope. So it was almost filmed in a way that I think it would be enhanced by watching on a big screen because all the little details of the – you'll see a submarine just passing them underwater and it's just the shadow. I feel like that would have been so much more enhanced on a big screen than it is on a TV. It reminded me of a poor man's Dunkirk. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so similar. I kind of get what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, I guess it's kind of got those stakes, doesn't it, that you're trying to get from a destination to the other while you're kind of, you know, trying to make it through a, a pretty harrowing part of the world. And the, the thing that I found actually quite interesting, because, I mean, let's be honest, all Tom Hanks seems to do these days is play real-life people. Uh, so I assume this was a real person that he was playing, but it, it isn't. This is a, I guess, a 
fictionalized based on sort of true events. Like th- this was a real section of the war. This was a real thing that it was based on this whole scenario. So the scenario is that Tom Hanks is a captain of a boat called Greyhound. There it is people. If you're wondering where the Greyhound reference is, uh, that essentially has to help convoy ships go through a part of the North Atlantic that are bringing supplies to the allied forces. And it's a really kind of, I guess, dangerous area that they've got to um, uh, go with them side by side to protect them from because you've got U-boats and just Germans. Uh, if you didn't know, the Germans were bad in World War II, just just FYI. Especially underwater. Exactly. They make wolf sounds, which makes them <laughs> extra evil. Uh, wolf howling Nazis. That's something that we didn't know was a thing. So uh, this whole movie kind of just revolves around Tom Hanks. It's his first um, mission in control, I guess, as a captain. And it's what's set over about a 48-hour period, isn't it, I guess? Um, probably, yeah, 50 to 72 hours, something okay. like that. Yeah, yeah, so a couple of days and just kind of his way of doing that. So, um, I, again, I, I assumed it's Tom Hanks. He's playing a real person <laughs> but uh, it's it's based off a, a book which kind of uh tells you now a book is a thing with words in it that you read apparently uh, this the, would be one of the non-picture ones yes exactly the good shepherd by c.s forrester which again i think is a non uh sorry a fictionalized account it is yeah yeah so uh which is interesting because it's I, I mean, is it a common thing that war movies around like World War One and World War Two are, 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 are fictionalized? As in, again, it's it's based on a true situation, but they've made it fictionalized. I guess Pearl Harbor was a fictionalized telling of a real life thing. Titanic, I know it's not a war movie, but similar movies. But like, is I don't know outside of Pearl Harbor. I'm not a big world war movie. I don't go out of my way to watch war movies. But is this a thing that is common? I don't know what. I'm trying to remember now. Was 1917 a true story, or was that? Oh, that's a good point. I think that was bad. Ooh, yeah, might be a similar thing. <laughs> Jeez, yeah. I talked that movie up but, enough. You think I'd know? I'll, I'll, let me Google it. Keep talking. <laughs> uh, uh, loosely based on stories that Sam Mendes' grandfather told him. So I guess right. this would be similar because, like, similar. What, what I guess the author, C.S. Forrester, did, who was a very famous author, and I'm guessing this was a very famous book in the 50s, uh, what he did was he heard all these stories about these convoys that would have to travel because uh, the, primarily what this movie takes place in, it's just the area of the ocean where you're not within range of planes for air support on either side. So you can get so far in the ocean, and there's planes that can protect you if there are other ships or if there are submarines. And then you get to the other side, and it's the same thing. But then you have this gap in the middle where there's no support, and you're on your own. So they group all these ships together, and they have to study tactics and everything. So I'm guessing C.F. Forrester heard about this and said, hey, that sounds like a good idea for a movie. And instead of you know, looking up a real story, decided let's write a fiction, which in this case is probably better because you can fit – all your own action in there you can say let's have five different u-boats all attacking and uh uh let's follow these types of battles um so yeah similar to 1917 one thing you said earlier the poor man's dunkirk you know uh this definitely isn't at the the artistic level of dunkirk uh this is a blockbuster uh this would i think if we're going to compare it to something you know it, it might be more on the lines of there's a movie called Fury a couple of years ago that Brad Pitt did, which was like a, a, a World War II tank movie. And I think this would be similar to that. It's it's not going to be high art. It's it's trying to just be a really gritty, you know, exciting depiction of these battles. Um, but the the Dunkirk thing is similar because this is, I think, just 
the way modern war films are. 1917 would be another one. Whereas old war films, you know, there would be a lot of background story with these characters, not just one scene with, you know, Tom Hanks and his wife, but let's get to the big battle by showing a bunch of other stuff and then let's focus on the battle for the end of the movie. This is like, let's throw the entire movie. I think Black Hawk Down might be the first one I could remember that did that, where you have 15 minutes of setup and then you have two and a half hours of one battle. We Were Soldiers with Mel Gibson would be another one, you know, 1917. Uh, So... I think this is just the way modern war films are. Let's throw you right into the battle. And probably the last big war film there was outside of 1917 was Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw that one. No. Uh, But that – I love the movie Hacksaw Ridge, but I almost feel like everything I remember for that movie is the second half of the movie where it is all one big battle. And it's all the opening stuff where I'm like, okay, I, I forget everything that happened there. So for the sake of this movie being memorable and kind of fitting as a modern war film, I actually think it's better that we just sort of get this one battle start to finish. Which, like, going on that point, um, it's been a very long time since I've seen Saving Private Ryan, and I think me, like most people, probably just remember the opening battle sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's interesting. Like I said before, I don't really go out of my way to watch war movies. It's not that I have a, anything against them. Every time I generally watch a war movie, I enjoy it. Like, I find them very interesting, very fascinating. Uh, I like. I thoroughly enjoyed Dunkirk. I, I love nineteen seventeen. To me, that was the movie that should have won the best Oscar uh, this year. But um, you know, like I just I don't know why I don't really go out of my way to to watch them. I think the thing with this movie though is that um, I mean, this movie had a budget of fifty point three million dollars, according to Wikipedia, to be completely accurate. Uh, and then if you compare it to a Dunkirk, a uh, budget somewhere between 100 and $150 million, and then even 1917 had a budget of upwards of $100 million. And I think that kind of shows, and maybe I'm just being a little bit nippy. I don't know. I just, I felt like none of, like any scene Tom Hanks is in, the, the tension, the drama, everything is fantastic. It's just the look of this movie just kind of, it takes off. And it had a very weird editing style. To me, it was a very TV style of editing. That's just kind of where it, it was just strange to me. And again, I, I'm assuming it's got nothing to do with the fact that it was released on a streaming service because, as I've said, it was planned. And it, was this ready to go for big screen? It just got delayed and they yeah. just shipped it off to Apple ready to go afterwards instead? Yeah, it was because they were literally only a couple of weeks away when theater shut down. So the movie was had probably been locked for quite a while at that point. I, I highly doubt that, especially when you, you look at the fact that they had bumped their release dates month by month. I doubt that they really did any tinkering with this movie afterwards. Um, and even though I think I can kind of see what you're saying about, you know, a different editing style, um, uh, that's one of the things I appreciate about. It. And as you said, the, the budget thing, this is to me a movie that is allowing a lower budget to enhance the movie in a more creative way, you know, and Master and Commander, again, another great comparison, because in Master and Commander, the entire movie is about two ships in the ocean. You have the British ship and you have the French ship, and you never see the French ship up close unless they are literally right alongside each other. So uh, Master Commander obviously, you know, cost a fortune compared to this movie, but there were a lot of other things they had to go to the Galapagos Islands, you know, that <laughs> costs money. Um, but... Uh, the fact that they are able to stage these battles where you don't have to see things up close and you're not shooting, you know, uh, underwater shots of a miniature submarine or CGI shots. The only time you're seeing this this U-boat is if it does surface or if they blow up something in the water, you get an explosion in the water and then you just kind of see the color of the water change. And and that I actually really liked about it. I thought it, maybe it was done to keep the budget down, but I actually think more more than anything – 
they probably chose that way of presenting the movie and it just was a benefit that, hey, this isn't going to cost us $100 million to make. Because I actually, I think that's the most clever thing about the movie to me. And, it, and in a way, it's kind of – it's very Jaws-like. You know, Jaws, the shark, you don't really see it until you're close to the end of the movie. And up until then, it, it is about the suspense of what's under the water. And it's just a lot of shadows under the water. And in this movie, it's the same thing. You see the shadows under the water. And I think that's what created so much suspense in this. And whether it was for the budget or not, I actually think that was the right decision to make in this movie. And maybe just having a lower budget was the benefit of having a creative decision to not see the villains in this. I don't disagree with what you're saying. I I think it adds to the tension, absolutely. And I I see the Jaws comparison. I guess it's just when we do see visual moments, that's kind of where I think it doesn't look fantastic. Um, And that's the part I think that on a big screen would look very different, you know? Because even when we see Star Wars movies, these movies have $200 million budgets, and then you watch it on Blu-ray, and you're like, oh, that looked better on a big screen, you know? <laughs> and then you watch The Rise of Skywalker and The Last Jedi, and you think, nah, this movie just sucks. Um, fun fun fact, actually, I believe, of the $50 million budget, about $45 million of that was paid to help uh, Tom Hanks get cured from coronavirus. So, uh, because, you know, the rest of the world, who cares? It's Tom Hanks gets coronavirus? Nah. Nah, if Tom Hanks has coronavirus, we need to protect him. It's that, it's that simple. Um, Aaron Schneider, the director of this film, not overly familiar with, an Academy Award-winning uh, director. He won uh, for Best Live Action Short Film in 2004 for his live action short film, Two Soldiers. Uh, so good for him. He's only directed one full-length film prior to this called Get Low in 2009. Never heard of it. Uh, but he's also known as a cinematographer and was the second unit director of photography for Titanic, Colin. So oh. there you go. He loves his water movies, apparently. Are you familiar <laughs> with um, Get Low or his short film Two Soldiers at all? No, I, I am familiar with Get Low. Um, that movie came out, it was like 10 years ago or something like that. And uh, uh, I think Robert Duvall got nominated for Best Actor for that movie. And I'm like, I'm a huge Robert Duvall fan. So when he got nominated, I'm like, I got to check out this movie. And I don't remember, like, I don't remember it being like an incredibly memorable movie. It was very, you know, low budget indie film, but it was a good movie. Uh, it, it is surprising, especially considering Get Low did get an Oscar nomination. It was fairly well received that he waited 10 years to make another movie but just looking at this i don't think he spent 10 years trying to get greyhound made you know it looks like he continued to work as a cinematographer in between you know his directorial efforts you know get low in this 10 years later when it comes to the cast of this movie there's not a whole lot to talk about it is a very tom hanks centric oh movie. there is there, there is <laughs> um, but uh, there's I mean, two things are you talking about Elizabeth Shue? Um, yeah, I, so that's one. The, yeah. <laughs> the one female character, as you mentioned. And, and um, or I guess... Which, can I just say, like, I, I've i never seen The Karate Kid. That might be a big one for, for you that I'm sure you're going to mention. But for those who maybe know the name, don't know, she was the recast Jennifer Parker in the Back to the Future sequels. Yeah. So uh, there you go. And actually nominated for an Oscar for Leaving Las Vegas. I did not know that. But um, she is in it for all of five minutes and she is literally, and I'm not even joking, the only female in this movie. So but who else you can, like, I love what, that. I'm sure that the media is bringing that up too. Probably. Oh, there's only one female character. It's it's in the middle of, you know, the North Atlantic in World War II. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Should they write one in there just for the sake of doing it? Oh, they'll make an all-female reboot of this in a few years. Yeah. Of course yeah. they will. But, um, I mean, outside of that, I mean, please direct me to somebody else I know here because I didn't recognize a single other person in this movie. <laughs> 
So the voice of Grey Wolf, which I'm assuming is the German voice you hear, is Thomas Kretschmann. Ah, uh, the esteemed. He's, well, if you look at his filmography, you probably would have seen him. I mean, he... Um, uh, he's a German actor. He got his start making German movies, but um, he was on 24. Oh. Uh, I think he was, he was the main villain at the end of season two oh, of 24. Oh, okay. I see yeah. And now. he's done other things like, you know, the the King Kong movie, and uh, he was in a couple of the uh, Avengers movies. I think he might have even been in um, uh, Winter Soldier or Civil War, one of those movies. Uh, but also he um, uh, has done other voice acting in Cars, which uh, yep. <laughs> that's probably what I'm most familiar with him from. Uh, the other one I wanted to mention here uh, was one of the random actors. So Jamie found something to appreciate in this movie because there is a guy, uh, which I looked up. His name is Tom Brittany. <laughs> he played Lieutenant Watson in this film. And he literally is a dead ringer for Henry Cavill. He looks like Henry Cavill's younger, less buffed brother. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Jamie, in between appreciating Tom Hanks, just because he's Tom Hanks, Jamie found the <laughs> way to appreciate the Henry Cavill lookalike in this movie. Well, I also appreciate that one of Tom Hanks' children is in this movie. Chet Hanks plays Bushnell. Yeah, I saw that in the credits. Um, I mean, God, I'm like Tom Hanks, you are like maybe the greatest man ever. I don't know. You are, We'll talk you up in a second. But, like, don't call your son Chet automatically somebody called chet you just want to hate they're just such a douche like oh i'm chet like he listens to country music and drives a pickup truck let's be honest like you just you don't want to like him he he watches the cars movie isn't a fan of mater yeah he's chet is <laughs> larry the cable guy was he the one that i falsely accused of yes yep right um but i mean this is Tom Hanks' movie. Uh, I mean, the he thing, wrote it. He, he did. I noticed that too. The thing that's so great about Tom Hanks is that Tom Hanks never plays a supporting character. Can we just point that out? Like, actors get to a well, certain age and they often will play a supporting actor, a supporting character, or something like that. Has Tom Hanks ever been just like random dad of main character or something like that? I can't remember a movie where Tom Hanks isn't the star. So th- there's his directorial debut in the first movie he wrote, That Thing You Do, where oh, yeah. he is a supporting character but that was you know obviously because he's directing the movie um he still got more publicity than anybody else in that movie and then i I guess the post you could say it it really is more of a dual lead but if you're gonna boil it down i mean meryl streep had significantly more screen time in that movie than tom hanks did but i think that was that was like a a strong supporting role that bordered on lead it's it's just it's just interesting though because like you know actors do get to a certain age and like i mean tom hanks is still arguably one of the, the biggest stars in the world. And despite, I mean, what, he's in his 60s now, isn't he? It's, it's kind of like, it's like a Julia Roberts. Like, Julia Roberts has not been at the peak of her powers in a very long time, you know, since the 90s. But she still fronts a movie. She's still mm-hmm. Julia Roberts. Like, and she always will be. Tom Hanks is always going to be Tom Hanks. And, I mean, like, all jokes aside, we, we love Rene Russo. This is not me taking a dig at our queen, Rene Russo. But Rene Russo couldn't do that anymore, unfortunately, I don't think. Like, yeah. she, she couldn't. I mean, she was a a bit part in Thor. I mean, look at Anthony Hopkins. Like, he's also kind of the same as well, aren't they? Like, I don't see Tom Hanks appearing in a Marvel movie just to be in the MCU as random dad of Ant-Man or something like that, you know? Like, it's... it's mm-hmm. I don't see that happening. And But the, the thing is with someone like Tom Hanks, though, is that you can see why he's still a star. I mean, this guy is just incredible. A, a two-time Academy Award winner. Probably should have won more, and he might might still win more. I don't know, but... I mean, what what else can we say? There's a reason why we haven't done a full recap of a Tom Hanks movie, because God would just be blowing him for three hours, wouldn't we? <laughs> I would. 
<laughs> well, ju- just looking over his filmography, I guess there are a couple of smaller supporting roles here. Um, there was uh, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Up Close. Uh, that was kind of a, a post-9-11 movie that mostly followed, I guess, the kid, and Tom Hanks was in that. But uh, I might have misspoken because I think that might be the only one here. Uh, I'm not seeing any other supporting roles. But he's the most be- – oh, I guess, here we go. Here's the other one. I don't know how we missed his Best Supporting Actor nomination last year for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Uh, oh. Here's the other one. Which – But again, I mean, if you've seen it. Dual, it's like the – it's yeah. like the post. It's a dual lead, really. Yeah. And, like, I mean, I saw that, and to me, he's the star. Like, who is the main guy in that movie? I couldn't even tell you. Matthew <laughs> Reese. He's the star of the Americans, Emmy Award winner this past year, new star of Perry Mason. How could I miss him? The star <laughs> for the future. Um, <laughs> he is. I didn't really Don't like that Don't you knock Matthew Reese. <laughs> I didn't really like A Beautiful Down There. It wasn't what I was expecting, to be completely honest. But, um, yeah, like, ah, oh, just... Just Tom Hanks. What a man. We, we need to do Tom Hanks month. I mean, come on. Like, so many How are we going to make it a month? We could do Tom Hanks year and still be leaving stuff out. Is there a Tom Hanks movie that you don't, like, you straight away, like, oh, that movie. Like, oh, I can't stand yeah. Toy Story <laughs> 4. Well, that's well I mean, Toy Story 4, you know, it's just inferior to the others. But um, I wasn't a huge fan of Bridge of Spies, a movie he made a couple years ago. Uh, I thought it was okay. It wasn't great. But I think the only one that I genuinely disliked was actually the last movie that he wrote and directed as well, which was Larry Crown, Uh. which I thought was just it was just a terrible movie. Uh, Other than that, I think you'd have to go back to the 80s to find a movie that didn't work of Tom Hanks's. Just, yeah, looking through his filmography um, of the ones that I have seen, I mean, even the ones that I say I didn't necessarily love, like I don't hate. Like, as I said, I didn't really like A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. I wouldn't go out of the way and say I hated it. Toy Story 4, I rented it. Like, it's the ending was terrible. Um, that was enough to mm. ruin it for me. I mean, outside of the ending, it was a, it was an okay film. Um, and, I mean, Sully was another one where it was kind of like, eh, this wasn't what I was thinking it was going to be, but it was fine. Um, outside of that, what have I seen? Captain Phillips was good. I remember seeing yeah. that. Cl- Cloud Atlas. I love Cloud Atlas. Everyone hates on that movie, but um, such a great movie. Um, yeah, there's a few others here that, I mean, I've never seen. The Da Vinci Code, maybe? I've never seen The Da Vinci Code, so I couldn't really comment. He was a producer on Evan Almighty? Wow, Tom. Um, <laughs> there you go. And the ant bully. <laughs> oh, th- there you go. Um, I mean, like some other random ones of his that I re- I love the terminal. That's like one of my favorite movies. Oh yeah. You- you're not a fan of um, Catch Me If You Can, I believe. But no, I no, do. no. I love Catch Me If You Can. Oh, I thought you. Oh, you don't like Leo in that movie or something? I don't know. Um, I thought Leo was good when he became a con artist. I thought him as a 16 year old kid was <laughs> kind of comical. You've got Mail. I know you like oh, that movie. Us. Great movie. Polythe- I mean, God, the 90s was just peak Tom Hanks. Couldn't do any mm-hmm. wrong. But, um, I mean, Turner and Hooch. Uh- oh, I love Turner and Hooch. <laughs> Joe vs. Volcano, there's an underrated one. The Burbs. Yeah. If we do a Tom Hanks month, we got to do The Burbs. That is Tom Hanks married to Carrie Fisher. How do you not oh, do that? I think we should do Philadelphia because how are we going to make that funny? <laughs> oh, we will find a way. <laughs> We're here to talk about AIDS, everyone. <laughs> Get excited as the Oz Network makes you know, Philadelphia funny. <laughs> you know what? There is one person who made AIDS funny, and that was Liam Neeson. Um, I don't know if I've mentioned this before. He uh, he was on uh, Ricky Gervais' show, Ricky Gervais and Warwick Davis, you know, <laughs> Warwick Davis from Willow in Star Wars, a uh, movie called Life's Too, or a TV show called Life's Too Short. And Liam Neeson goes to Ricky Gervais, who's playing himself, for help on how to be funny. 
and they start doing some improv. He goes, okay, here's the situation. We're in a doctor's office. Okay, now you come in. You're the patient. And Liam Neeson comes in and says, I have full-blown AIDS. And he's like, all right, uh, AIDS maybe not so funny, so let's try it again. And he comes right back in. He's like, I've got full-blown AIDS. I'm riddled with it. And it was just – it was so funny that, like, I don't think I could hear somebody say I have AIDS and not hear Liam Neeson. I have full-blown AIDS. I'm riddled with it. It it, it also reminds me of the South Park episode uh, with when they had um, – back when Jared the Sandwich guy from Subway wasn't a full-on pedo. Um, like, his whole thing was like, how did you lose so much weight, Jared? And he's like, because I've got AIDS. And they're like, What? <laughs> And they're like, he's meaning like assistance. Like I have a personal aid, but he doesn't realize what he's, you know, saying is wrong. So he's like going around the world going, thanks to my aids, I've lost all this weight. And everyone's like, dude, like, what are you doing? And then all of a sudden, like somebody laughs at it and they're like, it's been 30 years. AIDS is finally funny. And they're like, everyone knows that comedy, like after 30 years, something automatically becomes funny. So like everyone starts laughing about AIDS because it's been 30 years. T-shirts that will not be made by us, but uh, if anybody's willing to buy it, maybe we'll take a special order. Make AIDS funny again, uh, maybe. <laughs> well, that's also Team America when they they recruit the guy who's a Broadway star and his Broadway shows. Everyone has AIDS. Dun, 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 dun. AIDS, AIDS, AIDS. We are, we are so sorry that we've seen the last three minutes. World War Two blockbuster Greyhound with AIDS humor. <laughs> There are some lines, like, I haven't mentioned 9-11 this episode. Oh, you did, so... Uh, I you know, did, sorry. Tick off uh, Oz Network bingo. Um, sand is coarse and rough and irritating, gets everywhere. No, I can't get a date. It's racist. Um, there you go. Um, one thing, actually, that I just was interesting about a lot of this movie, filmed on the Royal Canadian Navy boat, the HMCS Montreal. Uh, so, yes. bit of a connection. There's some Canadian mentions in this movie, which is well, good. It really should you know, have a Canadian presence too, because again, this is this is a fictional story, or whatever. But if you're looking at World War Two, you know, the Battle of the Atlantic was the battle. It was Canada and Great Britain, because the United States was only in the war for the last couple of years. So uh, I, I think historically, Canada had a much bigger presence in the Atlantic. So it really does make sense that there is, you know, uh, one of the other ships, which I guess is one of the prominent ones you hear over the radio a lot. And you, you actually see an action, you know, uh, up close to uh, it, it does get a lot of mentions because this would this would be a big deal for Canada, uh, th- this battle. And to not mention Canada it would probably be like the Argo controversy all over again, where Ben Affleck screened Argo uh, at the Toronto Film Festival. And the ending was so condescending towards Canada that it got booed. And then he immediately went back and reshot his ending, which is what won him the Oscar. Which I was about to say, um, because I was, yeah, it was just get you guys pissed off because it kind of doesn't focus on Canada as much as it should. And I was like, what was that Ben Affleck movie that they did that? Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> I knew there was something there. Uh, I don't know if there's a whole lot more to talk about. Am I missing anything here major that you want to talk about before we get into our, our ratings? No, I just wanted to sell again, like what I appreciate about this movie and you know the, the fact that it is whether just intentionally lower budget or, you know, just because they had a lower budget they had to make do with it. The way that some of these scenes are effective, like there's one right near the end where they're being torpedoed from two different locations and two different submarines. And it's a prolonged sequence of just seeing this torpedo coming through the water. It's getting closer and closer and closer. And they have to make these really precise turns and, you know, have it narrowly miss it. And then you got one coming from the other side, like just the tension of that scene. I feel like there's no better way to have presented that than to really only be seeing a minimal amount of the action. There was one scene that I kind of liked 
and visual scene where you've kind of got this battle sequence going on and they kind of pan up over the clouds and you see like the normal oh, yeah. lights. That, that was kind of cool. I liked that mm. perspective, but it just like kind of from there, like, I don't know, it just felt odd the way they kind of would transition into the next sequence. And yeah, anyway, one thing I want to ask actually, before we get to our rating, cause I think it's important that we mention this is that given that this film meant to be a theatrical release, they gave up and put it onto Apple TV. You know, a lot of people saying this is kind of a testing ground. Like, could this happen uh, with Bond, for example, No Time to Die or, you know, something like Black Widow or these big, big blockbuster movies that, you know, people are dying to see. Uh, Apple have come out and said that this is the biggest debut of any program in the platform's history. I mean, in all fairness, Apple TV has been around for like 12 months, but still Mm -hmm. they're, they're saying it's a big deal. I mean, how do you feel this is going to affect? Do you think this is going to have the eyes of some of these studios on it thinking, well, okay, they've done that. Uh, there's nothing much we can do. And instead of holding us out for something like No Time to Die, that they're just going to give it to Netflix or Apple or, or something like this? Mm, yes and no. Um, I don't know if that was a yes or no question. but <laughs> that could be one of these. So do you think this will happen? Yes and no. Uh, <laughs> they're like Madonna. <laughs> yeah. uh, but... I mean, you said this is a $50 million movie, the old guard, 50, $75 million movie. And I think we mentioned this with the old guard too, that that's pretty much the top budget that you could have for a movie release streaming. Cause sure this movie did huge numbers for Apple, but when you're releasing it to a streaming platform, you're not getting box office receipts in that you're getting Netflix or Apple paying you one lump sum once for a movie and then whatever profits are theirs. So I think that this movie cost, would you say, $50, $55 million? Yeah, $50.6 million to be precise. Yeah. So I think Apple bought this for $70 million. Uh, basically, this movie turned only a $20 million profit, no matter how successful it is on Apple. And I think that's the thing that people aren't considering when it comes to these streaming platforms. For a movie like this that costs $50 million, that's fine. You know, for the old guard, that's fine. Uh, even Netflix is not going to turn a profit if they pay $100 million for a movie. Uh, and most of these blockbusters we're still waiting for. Top Gun, Ghostbusters, No Time to Die. These are 100, 150, maybe $200 million movies. I give a 0% chance that those movies are going to you know, go the streaming route uh, because they will lose money. And this would be the thing going forward if, if people are all for, because you have all these people on the internet who are saying, yeah, they should just release all movies like this. I think I said it with the old guard. I'll say it again. Then you're going to have to you know, live with low budget movies because mm. this is about as big budget as anything can be made and turn a profit with a streaming platform because um, there is no box office dollars. So Bill and Ted, I think, is another one that you know, we're a couple weeks from now is kind of testing both waters or like let's release it theatrically and then we'll also release it you know on demand they get some money that way from both sides uh but that's also a 50 million dollar movie when it comes to the big blockbusters i think we're literally going to be waiting until movie theaters open well tenet is going to be the the testing Mm -hmm. one isn't it because they're doing that kind of in markets such as canada australia you know these countries which are doing decent with COVID and doing select ones in the u.s so i mean that that's what a a 200 million dollar movie isn't it i mean that's on Mm -hmm. par with what no time to die would be so um yeah, I mean, it's so tricky because, like, you and I and every Bond fan are just are dying for no time to die. Uh, but at the same time, I, I, I want to see it on the big screen. I don't want to just wake up one day and go, ah, fuck it, they've put yeah. it on Netflix. Like, it's not the same. And it's like, I mean, yeah, again, exactly. maybe back to your point about how you wanted to see this on the big screen. Maybe 
I would have enjoyed this a lot more had it seen on the big screen. I don't know. I mean, during the week, I saw Back to the Future on the big screen for the very first time, and I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen Back to the Future in my life, but it, it does add something to it seeing on the yeah. big screen, and that movie's 35 years old. So, um, yeah, it's interesting times. Interesting times indeed. Um, buy it, rent it, or bin it. Colin, I feel I know what you're going to do. I'm, I'm buying this. This is uh, To me, this is the most entertaining movie I've seen this year. Uh, it, well, I, I'd say this and Bad Boys for Life are the two this year where I like I was really shocked at how much I enjoyed it. I wanted to watch this again right away. Uh, whereas I think the other movies that have come out this year, there's been some good ones. You know, I thought Birds of Prey was okay, uh, but it wasn't something where I'm like I need to watch that right away. I think there have been two movies released this year <laughs> in this very short year where I really, really enjoyed the movie and would watch it multiple times. This is one of them. Once again, continuing our trend of movies that you don't think much of and that are really good, apparently. <laughs> uh, I'm renting it. It's a high rent. Like, again, I enjoyed it. I did enjoy it. I didn't dislike this movie. It just, something felt just not the way I was expecting to me. And, like, I don't know if I would sit down and watch this movie. I'd rather watch Dunkirk in 1917 again before I watch this again. So, uh, and I also feel like this is maybe a movie that in about five years' time you and I are going to bring it up in conversation. I'm like, oh, yeah, we covered that, didn't we? Like, this, <laughs> this isn't going to be one of those ones where it's like the Dark Tower. I remember we did that. Remember the Dark Tower? Did uh, we cover that? We did. We both oh. did it. Um, so yeah that was wow yeah so i mean to me it's just going to be one of those not as bad as the dark tower but anyway yeah um so i mean i guess our next new movie will be bill and ted won't it unless we're gonna go out of our way to see i mean what netflix apple tv freaking amazon prime what else is coming out i don't know Uh, yeah you know there's a couple of you know movies come out this month that seem kind of interesting the one that i if we are going to try to fit something in the win, I'd like to fit in is Spike Lee's movie Defy Bloods because, again, it's another war movie uh, or I guess, you know, war type film because it's not based on an actual war. Uh, but uh, that one's getting great reviews. It's supposed to be, you know, big. It would feel like something that's more theatrical. It's getting some buzz. So if there's anything I'd like to cover, it might be that. But it, who knows? It could end up being Bill and Ted a month from now. Which is kind of where our next ones are going. I mean, we sort of alluded at the end of our Rene Russo month, still available, that we, you know, might kind of throw in a random one here or there. Um, but, I mean, at, at the moment, I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be probably more up to Bill and Ted having a few weeks off still. But, I mean, outside of that, we've got Total Drama Island, of course, happening. Um other ones when they come about i guess <laughs> we sort of having fears if you, if you like our voices that much double oz seven we've got a few things planned <laughs> for that uh if you like my voice strange survivor archives is there and euros vision is around <laughs> colin was on one of those episodes recently um but uh yeah i mean let's be honest none of you like our voice the brink we're about to record a thing for that um talk about hockey and shit I don't know, Colin, I'm trying to tease us out there somewhere. Buy our T-shirts. Colin, where do they yes. buy our T-shirts from? I can't remember the website. It's tpublic.com slash user slash OZN or OZN for those Ooh. American listeners. Right. There you go. Very fancy. So uh, how many T-shirts have you bought off there, Colin? Uh, I think I only bought two for myself. Oh. I bought one for Jamie. And Jamie, uh, we did – well, I'm sure we'll talk about this in a break. We did uh, – a virtual 10k run a few weeks ago and my shirt and metal came and when i oh, opened it up jamie mine hasn't yours hasn't come yet no what uh <laughs> that victoria mail service notorious hell 
but uh, yeah, when I opened it up, Jamie was like, oh, I was hoping that would be my Tickle Me Mustache shirt. So <laughs> she's excited for hers. I'm, 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 I'm rovable now. I want my bloody medal on my shirt. Bloody <laughs> Canada bloody post. Uh, yeah, stay tuned. We'll have stuff eventually. Uh, I was going to say likes on Facebook, but you're about to hear me say all that at the end here. At the end, the end, the end, the end, the end. I don't know what I'm saying. Uh, this has been our Greyhound spoiler-free review. Watch it on Apple TV. Subscribe, do all those legal things that most people do. Uh, and we will speak to you soon. My name is Ben, and I have bloody feet. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Colin, and I like monogram slippers. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast by Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll speak to you next time. 